Kia ora. This program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Collaborative Voices from Community Networks Aotearoa. Conversations and interviews on all kinds of subjects of interest to the community and voluntary sector. Listen up for Collaborative Voices from Wellington Access Radio. Welcome to Collaborative Voices. I'm Rose Rice and I work for Community Networks Aotearoa and it's my great pleasure to welcome today Sasha Green. Sasha is the National Advisor at CAB for Legal and Strategic Work and at the moment the thing we're really interested in talking to Sasha about is the digital divide and work that CAB's been doing on that. So welcome to the program Sasha. Thanks so much, Roz. It's great to be here to share our work with you. Cool. Let's just start quickly talking about CAB, which of course stands for Citizens Advice Bureau, which is known and loved right throughout the country. But can you just tell me what CAB um, is and what sort of things CAB is known to do? CAB has now been in Aotearoa, New Zealand for 50 years. Um, We are a community organisation staffed by, um, at the moment, about 2,500 dedicated volunteers who give their time to support people in their communities with um, knowing about their rights and responsibilities and uh, the services available to them in their community. So CAB is a free independent service. It's confidential um, and can be contacted in a range of ways by phone, online, face-to-face, putting COVID restrictions aside. And, um, you know, basically there to help people with, with any question they have and help them find a way forward. It's renowned for uh, actually being the place that people go to get help with things where they can get no help anywhere else. A good example I know is like filling out your tax forms for inland revenue and things like that, which I'm sure CAB shouldn't be doing. (laughs) I'm sure that inland revenue should be doing a better job helping people do that, but often those sort of things end up on CAB's plate. Yes, you're right. It's, It's really a anything and everything and a lot of the work that we do intersects with people trying to access their entitlements from government Um, so tenancy consumer employment Mm. immigration tax issues family relationships all all of it all comes um, to you yeah that's right thank goodness for CAB that's all I can say because you know if you weren't there what would people do yeah Let's talk specifically about your work at CAB. Um, you're the National Advisor on Legal and Strategic Matters. Can you explain to me a little bit what that involves? Sure. I think the reality of working at a community organisation, as I think you would know, Ros, is yeah, I'm that um, already because I know what you're going to say. <laughs> is that it means I do a bit of everything. everything. <laughs> but um, one of the things that I do in my work is um, look at the inquiries we're receiving from across the country, so that we can. Um, analyze those and see if we can pick up on issues of social concern. So one of the aims of the CAB is um, 
alongside our role in helping individuals, we also work towards positive social change. So part of my role is looking at those bigger picture issues and trying to identify areas where there's a need for policy change or law reform or some kind of societal change that's going to try and improve things for people. So we're talking about a specific project today, and that is um, the work that you've been heading on the what, digital exclusion, the digital divide. Can you talk a little bit about that project and why you've taken why CAB's taken this up? So we were um, starting to see through our client inquiries an increasing challenge for um, people in communities trying to access services that were moving online. Um, we noticed that particularly in relation to immigration services, um, as that was one of the the government agencies that was a early, <laughs> early sort of um, had early uptake of that shift to digital and um, closing frontline public counters, getting rid of paper forms, putting everything online. So we were seeing the we were seeing the struggle among um, in our client inquiries, and our volunteers were feeding that back to us, feeling really concerned. Um, so we what we did was add a specific question to our interview process um, so that each time a volunteer was interacting with a client, they were also trying to pick up on whether there were digital exclusion issues. And by that, we mean um, basically barriers to participating fully in society because of that shift to things being online. Um, And we, so from that point, we started collecting data Um, And that's provided us with a really rich source of information for looking at what's been going on um, out in communities. So, so what has the data basically been telling you? Um, In a a three month period, we um, picked up on about four and a half thousand um, client inquiries where there were digital exclusion issues. Mm. Um, So for starters, it was, it was a, it was shocking <laughs> just mm. to see um, the scale of impact. Um, but what we what we saw when we dug into those inquiries was that um, there were a range of issues in terms of barriers, and some of those are the ones that um, you know we talk about a lot in terms of access to devices, in terms of affordable connection to the internet, having digital skills. But what we were also seeing is that digital exclusion really reflected um, wider issues of social inequity and challenges people were facing um, with just interacting with with the system. Um, Issues like Mm. poor literacy, language barriers, poverty. Poverty. Yep, poverty, (laughs) big one. Um, And, and you know, um, just the, the recognition that it's not just an issue of having a device and having a connection that the things that we were looking at which were often about interactions with government with public services were situations where people actually you know that they needed more than just a connection (laughs) to the internet they needed um in-person support they needed someone Mm. to walk alongside them so just that reality that with things shifting online um you know there were people who were 
um, struggling to access their entitlements, were missing out, and in some cases were actually experiencing harm because of the inability to get what they needed. I've heard somebody from Inland Revenue say once, but everybody's got a cell phone without taking into account that data download costs a lot of money on a cell phone. And a lot of people don't. Not everybody does have a cell phone. So I think there's a um, a break in understanding from the people who are really digitally um, um, able, mm. understanding the problems for people who are not. Yeah, and I think, you know, even if it was the case that everybody had a mobile phone, um, do you want to complete your tax return on your on your phone really complicated (laughs) do you want to fill in a 20 page immigration form on your phone um those you know some of those um uh yeah I think you're right you know there's there's almost like this disconnect disconnect what a perfect word Um, (laughs) an assumption that you know if there is a device and a connection within a household somehow those people um, tick the box of being included in society and that's you know very clearly in our experience with our clients and with the research we've done is, is you know it's it's not the case. Yeah and also I have big concerns and once again going back to inland revenue where you're legally required to put in um, information but a lot of people who are not able to use the digital system um, they can't um, uh, fulfill their legal requirements so they're actually put in a position by government of breaking the law. Yeah, and we saw that in our inquiries. We had um, situations of clients very distressed by the fact that they received a letter in the post um, informing them that the Inland Revenue had been trying to um, let them know that they had, um, you know, penalties that they needed to pay before a certain time or they were liable for court action. (laughs) And um, in this situation, it was um, a man who didn't have... He didn't have a computer or an internet connection. Someone had helpfully signed him up to my IR sometime in the past, and he'd never been back into it. Yeah. And meanwhile, he was getting notifications there, telling him these things, but um, not getting, you know, not getting the information that he needed. Yeah, um, it's it's um, interesting that um, now that kind of behavior is extending to banks yes uh, who are cutting their branches down expecting everyone to go online and that's that's vital because how do people access their money yeah Um, yeah. and it's extending to other government departments apart from the ones that we know about um, that you wouldn't expect. And um, businesses also are very much orientated towards online now. Yeah. And I'm wondering why you think, just very quickly before we go to a break, why is this spreading without um, consideration being given to the people who are by definition excluded from this form of communication? Uh, I think that... Um what we were talking about before is is key here that there is a disconnect there's this there's this real focus um being you know led by our government around digital transformation Mm. with a sense that digital makes things better and 
I guess it's the, you know, it's the reality that it may in some cases, but it's not a given. And I think we, we collectively need to step back and see digital as a tool, um, but be clear about what our goal is. And I think the goal is inclusion, um, not digital inclusion. Well, it digital should... is just a tool to try and help us achieve that, but we need to recognise it won't. It won't do that for everyone. In my opinion, um, uh, the focus is wrong because I think my feeling is that the focus is about what is easiest for the departments, what is easiest for the business, what is easiest for the banks, instead of what works for your communities. Yes. And I, it, it shouldn't be that hard to have options for people, but they're just not putting them in there. They're so focused on their own well well, not well-being, but their own profit, that um, they're not looking at who they're actually excluding. So I get quite grumpy about it. But anyway, <laughs> this is a perfect time to go to our music. And um, you've chosen um, someone I know whose music I know quite well, Estere. Uh, she's not so well known in New Zealand, but very, very popular in Europe. And she's really done well for herself. And uh, her song is Pro Bono Techno Zone. Those busy Madinis, those huts up in the trees, are all becoming distant relics of the past. Those coiled skipping ropes, serpents without a hope, are lying forlorn and abandoned in the grass. Now I know stranger, to danger's danger, but this is evidence no jury could deny.
welcome back and uh, you're listening to Collaborative Voices. It's my pleasure to be talking to Sasha Green. Sasha is the national, I can't get my words out today, national advisor for the CAB, Legal and Strategic Issues. And we're specifically talking about the work that CAB is doing regarding the digital divide. So going into the second part of the program, I was wanting to talk a bit more in depth about what you're actually doing and how you're doing it. So do you want to just go with the flow for me? Sure thing. Um, So after starting collecting that data, um, we put together a report um, in February 2020, just before COVID hit. So it got a bit lost amongst other things. But it's a report called Face to Face with digital exclusion and in that report we particularly focused on the impact of public services um, going online and what that's meaning for inclusion and well-being in society Um, and as a sort of follow-up to putting out that report we then started a campaign um, which is focused on leaving no one behind and addressing digital exclusion. So we we, um, have a petition on the Action Station website and um, a campaign um, which is really about, really focused on trying to address those things that we've identified in our report. Um, That petition has now been accepted at Parliament and has gone before the Petition Select Committee but we're yeah we're still feeling like there's a long way to go to mm. feel like that there's actually some change happening. How many people signed the petition? Uh, we had about seven and a half thousand people sign the wow. petition, and um, one of the things I I feel um, delighted to be able to say is that half of those were collected on paper forms. <laughs> um, so we, you know, obviously very mindful and in, in um, having a petition about digital exclusion that we had um, multiple avenues for people to be able to right. support the campaign. Um, yeah. And you've been to see a few MPs? Yes. Um, so we have in relation to the petitions committee itself, um, but also with the, Um, Minister for the Digital Economy, um, which is um, Dr. David Clark. Um, Yeah, I mean, our our sense is that um, there is an acknowledgement out there that there are broader issues of exclusion and that we need to be thinking about that in the way that we plan services but we're seeing very little evidence of that actually being applied. There's there's this real focus on the response to digital exclusion being about um, increased access to the internet, about more devices. Um, Mm. And those, those things are really important and we do want to see those. Those are part of what we're saying in our campaign that we need to make sure rural communities can actually have a reliable connection to the internet that there's affordable connection um all those things but what we're also saying is that's that's not the whole picture and once again it's not going to the core issue which is what works best for the communities and what works best for people who are currently excluded Mm. and having the device doesn't necessarily work best if people don't know how to use the device can't afford to use a device all those issues yeah and even 
where it is that the uh, a digital format just won't meet their needs because yes. of language barriers, literacy, complexity yes. of the issue, or or mm. even um, something that we often see is when people are dealing with a high stakes issue. So when they're feeling really anxious about the potential outcome, might be an employment mediation issue, going to the tenancy tribunal, applying for a benefit. Um, you know, th- those are things where um, it can be really challenging to just be directed to fill in a form online when you actually just need to be able to talk through with someone yeah. the issues, get some reassurance, know you're on the right track. Yeah. Yeah. So what, how are the government agencies responding to this? I know there has been some response. Yeah, there's been... Um, some acknowledgement as I say um the the I mean the government is doing a lot of work around digital inclusion um at the end of 2021 there was a discussion document released about a digital strategy for Aotearoa and inclusion is a real big focus in that but um as I say it's sort of that focus on digital inclusion Mm. with um, those other issues as a bit of a byline and we I guess what we're we're finding is that to the extent that there is an acknowledgement about the issue it's seen as if it's a moment in time issue that it will go away that it's just um, a transition and um, our our view is that that's not the case, that this is actually something we need to plan for the longer term is to, to look at how we create inclusive services and make sure everyone is able to participate in society. Um, when we did our research, one of the, one of the, um, I mean, one of the common assumptions is that digital exclusion is an issue for older people. Yes. And um, we definitely see that in our inquiries, but actually digital exclusion was being experienced by people across age groups. And we were seeing digital exclusion in our under 25-year-olds and our, you know, and our mm. uh, across the spectrum. And I think that's about recognising those um, the intersection between those other issues, you know, around poverty or language or disability, um, and that it's not just about whether you have a device or have grown yeah. up with, you know, devices I, being yeah. in your life. I sometimes get the feeling that they just think, oh, you know, if we just wait a few years, all the oldies will die off and the new ones will come along yeah. and they're all part of the digital <laughs> age, you'll be fine. And um, as I'm one of those oldies, I really object to that (laughs) absolutely yeah yeah that's what I mean and I think it's you know I didn't want to say it in those terms Ross but I'm I'm (laughs) known to be horribly blunt I'm sorry (laughs) but it is you know there is a real sense that it's being treated as if the issues will die out you know that it's um um and I've 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 interacted with people who are shocked by the thought that this is more than an issue of transitioning people you know that so one of the key things we're calling for in our campaign 
is around um, government services being designed and delivered in a multi-channel approach. Absolutely. So, so actually planning ahead for the fact that you want to support people with their needs and allow for, you know, for people who need to interact face-to-face to be able to do that or who need to talk to someone on the phone to be able to do that rather than um, creating a service where you make you create barriers to those alternatives, which is um, currently the case. You know, we're, we're seeing government agencies hiding those alternate channels, either by, um, you know, hiding the phone number away somewhere that you can't mm. find unless you mm. dig through seven different, you know, levels of a internet page or yeah. um, or paper forms, you know, yeah. paper forms. Yeah. Um, if you need one, um, you know you have to request it online well that's right that's right (laughs) exactly it's so disappointing this all or nothing attitude that they're taking it's yeah but interestingly and you did you did ask before about you know response from government um um while we've we've um used them as an example for a few things that aren't so great one really positive thing um we've seen is that Inland Revenue, who were quick to do their, you know, not quick, but who who have been through quite a significant process of digital transformation, are now starting to acknowledge the harm it's caused and are willing to um, kind of revisit. So the example I talked about earlier about MyIR, um, mm. one really positive thing is that they are looking to review who has signed up to my IR but hasn't been back in there in over a year right? <laughs> and, and get in touch with them and say, do we maybe need to work out another way of communicating with you? Because yes, clearly this isn't working. So, I mean, that's our hope, I suppose, is that um, we can work with government to identify the things that have been done that maybe have have caused distress and harm and try and see how we can unravel some of those some things. of those issues mm. yeah but but also to plan forward with the idea that um particularly government services public services should be accessible to the public and they should be designed in an inclusive way that mm. supports that multi-channel approach mm. so let's take this to its conclusion and say what is a successful conclusion or is this a never-ending issue what do you think <laughs> look into the future oh yes <laughs> well yeah and that's I mean yeah I think that's critical we we need to be able to look to a future where we're taking everyone with us and mm. I think that is about um re- focusing and being clear that inclusion is the goal and that digital services digital equipment technology is only ever a tool and we need to be clear you know if it's actually achieving the thing that we're we're prioritizing so I I do hope for a society where we find that balance and make the most out of really good technological developments but hold that alongside the incredible importance of human interaction, of um, 
person-to-person -person services um, of, of people being able to connect with people. Yeah. So we come to the end of this discussion, but there's so much more to talk about. But I'd just like to remind everybody out there that there is probably a CAB in your town. And if you need it, go to it. The people, are, most of the CABs that I know of, the people are amazing and helpful and they have a huge database that they can access information from and they're there to help you. And if you're interested in um, further information from CAB New Zealand, you can always give them a ring on 0800 367 222. Anything else I can add to that, Sasha? No, that's great, Roz. Um, yeah. We've got a great website too. Have a look at that, www.cab.org.nz. And we were even recently the winners of the Plain Language Champion Award. So we, we try to make our information as accessible as possible. So thank you so much, Sasha. We're, we're doing this interview on Zoom. So please forgive the dog next door who's been punctuating things in an appropriate way. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for coming on and um, best of luck. And we'll stay in touch with you about the work that you're doing as we think it's really important. And um, we have the same feelings as you and we've been making them known for quite a long time. So um, really glad that you guys have shouldered the burden of picking this up and, and taking the rest of us with you behind you. So thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Roz. That program was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding accessmedia.nz.